Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Chapter 12 of the Book of Hebrews, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Chapter 12's theme is Awesome Holy God, and it can be broken down into four parts. Part 1 is about endurance. What is the worst thing you have ever endured? Was it a sickness? Was it going through chemotherapy treatments for cancer? Or maybe it was a painful divorce or boot camp for the Marines or training for the Navy SEALs or something like that. All of those things require a lot of endurance. We begin Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 on that theme. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If you've ever been to a marathon to watch the runners, or maybe you've participated in one yourself, you won't see runners wearing heavy bracelets and scarves and coats and long-sleeved shirts and long pants. They won't be carrying purses or backpacks or cell phones. They won't be dragging luggage on rollers behind them. And so, in the same way, to live the Christian life, we have to let go of the things that can entangle us. Sin, certainly, and other things, too. Criticism of the church, being easily irritated at other people, grudges about the past, comparing ourselves to others, dependence on material things. But the writer goes on in verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There's that word endure. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus certainly had an endurance contest on his hands when he went to the cross. He began his race when he was born in Bethlehem to a virgin, and for 33 and a half years he prepared for that awful time when he would have to make it through. You know, marathon runners endure awful pain. Some get cramps, some overheat, some need to vomit, some feel their muscles screaming, some get too hot, so that they have to be motivated by what lies ahead, a prize, the finish line, or recognition. And in the same way, Christians are running a race that really causes pain sometimes. They have heartaches and disappointments and persecutions and losses. It's very easy to feel like giving up. We remember that Jesus cried from the cross as he was enduring the last part of the crucifixion, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he did make it to the end and 
God for us a wonderful victory and salvation available for anyone who will accept in the whole world. And so if we can fix our eyes on Jesus and remember that kind of endurance, we too can make it through. That brings us to part two, which is about discipline, a topic that is very much related to the concept of endurance. Verse four, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. And now the writer is getting ready to quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord's discipline is for those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. See how these two concepts are being tied together? He's using that word endure again. Endurance and discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Where he says, make level paths for your feet there, he's quoting from Proverbs again. This time it's chapter 4, verse 26. So he's tying together this idea of correction and discipline. Not all discipline is punishment. Imagine a student writing a research paper for a professor. And the student has to bring the paper in multiple times as drafts are corrected. And the student comes back with the paper filled with red marks. Change this, move that, add this, subtract this. It can be discouraging sometimes. But as those drafts are worked on and they get better and better, that correction, that discipline leads to a better finished product. Aren't you glad that the Lord does that for us? Instead of telling us, good luck living the Christian life and I'll judge you when it's all over, he has his Holy Spirit to convict our hearts when we make mistakes and he works with us in our lives. And sometimes that even includes correction and discipline. There may be some that would try to tell you that a loving God today never punishes anyone, especially his people, and that's simply not biblical. He's not holding us over hell and threatening to cut the string at any moment, but he is lovingly like a parent who 
desperately loves his child, correcting us constantly and bringing us back from those things which would do us harm. And so we need endurance to run the race and also to be able to withstand the discipline that we know has to come to us because we are not yet perfect. Then we come to part three of this chapter, and it's a list of do's and don'ts. There are six of them altogether, beginning with verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance and rights as the eldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So we have four verses here, 14, 15, 16, and 17, with these six do's and don'ts. The first was to live in peace. The second was to be holy. Those were the two do's. And then the don'ts were don't miss God's grace or become bitter or sin sexually or focus on the world. And he's talking there about the fraternal twin brother of Jacob, Esau. Esau and Jacob were the sons of Isaac, perhaps you recall. He and his wife, Rebekah, suffered infertility for 20 years before God blessed them with this one pregnancy that yielded two boys. And the Lord told them early on that the promise that was made to Abraham about being a blessing to the whole world and raising up a nation was going to come to pass through the younger of those two boys, Jacob. And we see that Esau was favored by Isaac. He was a man's man. He liked to hunt and he worked outside. Jacob was more of a mama's boy and he stayed home and he liked to cook and he hung around with his mother quite a bit. And so one day Jacob had made a lentil stew and his brother Esau came in from hunting and he was exhausted. And he smelled that bean soup cooking and he asked for a bowl. He was probably suffering from low blood sugar, but he was irritable and hungry and his brother Jacob said, sure, I'll give you a bowl if you'll sell me your birthright. As the oldest son, he was entitled to a double portion of the inheritance over Jacob, even though they were twins and he was born just a few minutes before. And Esau was so profane or so disinterested in the blessings of God that rather than stopping and disciplining himself, and recognizing that you don't pay $10,000 for a bottle of pop because you're throwing away something too valuable for what you're getting in return, he was willing to give this most precious inheritance from the Lord for a bowl of beans. 
And so he filled his stomach and then he realized that he had made a mistake, but he couldn't go back. So the writer of the Hebrews is bringing up that story here because there are so many times when we sell out the big things, the most important things for things that aren't very important. Maybe we will forego a prayer life because we fritter away our time with television. Maybe we will not be faithful to the house of God because we take too many vacations or because we're too busy working overtime that we don't really have to work, things like that, focusing on the world. And so missing God's grace and becoming bitter, which are two other of the four don'ts in this passage, were also things that happened to Esau as a direct result of him focusing on the moment and selling his birthright for this bowl of soup. So then we move on and we come to part four, which is very profound. I'll just call it why. Why all of these things? Why must we endure? Why must we be disciplined? Why all of these pieces of advice about how to live the Christian life? Starting with verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded, quote, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned, end quote. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Well, what could he be talking about here? He is referring back to the story in Exodus 19, where God is preparing the people for when he calls Moses up on Mount Sinai and gives him the law. And the rest of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Jewish law, not just the Ten Commandments. And at that time, the Lord wanted the people to understand what a solemn and holy time this was. You might recall that I told you that the theme of this whole chapter is going to be awesome, holy God. And although we've talked about endurance and discipline and do's and don'ts, we still haven't yet, up to now, spoken about the awesomeness of God and His holiness. So now we're going to answer the question, why all of these other corrections and do's and don'ts? And the writer of the Hebrews wants us to go back and remember that story about what happened when the Lord called Moses up on Mount Sinai. So a fire came down on the mountain and there was a rule that any person that approached the mountain would be killed, even animals. In fact, let's go back and read it directly from Exodus 19, beginning with verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. 
whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. Are you understanding here that God is so awesome and so holy that when he comes down to reveal his word to his servant Moses, it's not party time with our good friend the Lord and people rushing the mountain. Instead, it is a horrifying thing that causes the people to move back from the mountain and to hit the ground in reverent worship and to keep their animals away and to recognize that they are sinful and God is perfect and his awesomeness must make us revere him. But we continue on in Exodus 19 and then we'll get back to Hebrews 12. Exodus 19, 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. It doesn't say that someone from the people was designated to play a trumpet. Instead, this was the trumpet of the angel of God. The people didn't know what to expect, but they were scared, and they were shaking with the cloud and the thunder and lightning, the kind of thunder that shakes where you are. Maybe you've been in a bad storm where there was a lightning bolt so close to your house that it literally caused the windows to rattle. That kind of fear. And the smoke billowing up like smoke from a furnace and this really loud trumpet blast made the people understand that this creator of theirs was indescribably holy and powerful. And they were not worthy, and he was worthy. And so, hearkening back to that again, we're on Hebrews 12, starting with verse 25. See to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, and he's going to quote from a prophecy in Haggai uh, chapter 2, verse 6, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Imagine taking a dirty tablecloth or an area rug outside and 
shaking it as hard as you can or beating it against the side of a house or a tree or something in order to get rid of every impurity. So you want dirt and dust and dog hair and anything else that isn't a part of the fibers of that rug to be shaken away and the nice material to remain. And in the same way, the Lord shook the Mount Sinai and he is now shaking us that all the impurities might be removed. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for God is a consuming fire. That is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, starting with verse 23. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So the point of all this is that the reason that we must endure and the reason that we can expect to be corrected at times and receive discipline at the hand of God, and the reason that we are given in His Word a list of things that we should do, like pursue peace and holiness, and not do, like be careful not to overlook His grace or harbor bitterness or give in to sexual sin or profane that which is holy like Esau did, is because our God is a wonderful, holy, awesome, worthy God. And it is our responsibility as his people to listen to what he says. So with endurance and discipline, we can live in reverence and awe before the holy, awesome God. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along. 